Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Rowan and the Wasteland, where we discuss a film and honor its amongst its peers. My name is Rowan Wood, and joining me, as always, I'd rather him, I'd rather stop him breathing than have him doubt about how I feel. It's Shane Kanto, ladies and gentlemen. Intense feelings. Very. This and... is an intense <laughs> Well, Rowan is a very good friend of mine. <laughs> so we can share intense feelings. Exactly, exactly. A very good friend, apparently. Um, today, we are talking about Lady Macbeth from 2016, starring Florence Pugh and Naomi Ackie, which is, in fact, not an adaptation of the, uh, of the Shakespearean character. Uh, this is, is an adaptation... Uh, of a novel by uh, Nikolai Leskov called Lady Macbeth of uh, of Mitengst. I definitely butchered that because I don't speak Russian. Um, well, but, that's uh, okay because they just moved it to England anyway. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, they knew we were going to mess it up. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, so, in fact, they they decided not to say it uh, either. Um, but yeah, so. Even though this is not specifically based on uh, the the Shakespeare character, uh, the original novel that this is based on was named after the Shakespeare character. So we are using that tenuous logic to talk about Shakespearean adaptations uh, as one of our lists on this episode. Mm-hmm. Although I am I am slightly sort of stretching a little bit. I'm calling it Shakespeare adaptations ish because uh, I have a lot of stuff on my list that aren't straight Shakespeare adaptations, but are at least somewhat inspired by Shakespearean stories. We make the rules around here. That's okay. And to be exactly. fair, Catherine Florence Pugh's character definitely has some Lady Macbeth energy. For sure, yes. We make the rules and then we break the rules. Uh, later on, we'll also be talking about marriage stories and our watch list for 2016. Our second watch list in a row. Um, funnily. Yeah. Um, but uh, there, there are only so many years. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> after we after we do a next one, eventually we're gonna have to circle back and uh, and and talk about our favorites again. Um, but uh, yeah, so Shane, what did you think about Lady Macbeth? So this is probably the second or third time that I've watched this. I actually own this. Um, this movie blew me away when I watched this for the first time. This is an intense drama. This is a steamy, dark romance. And if anybody doubted that Florence Pugh was going to be a star after watching this movie, they are an idiot. (laughs) So that shit, like, she just owns this movie. Owns it. And she's like a wrecking ball through everyone and everything in this movie. And I would not want to get in her way. And she was 19 when she made this movie, which is the age that I am at now, which blows my freaking mind. Well, I'm 12 years from there, so it makes me even feel weirder. So. Yeah, weird for in in, in, in a different way. Um, yeah. yeah, so this movie, it was actually um, made in a, like, like, very unconventionally. So, um, I features, uh... So the, the sort of the program that this was made under is a joint collaboration between the BBC and the BFI. And every year they produce three feature films for £350,000 as sort of a springboard for first time directors. And this movie was chosen out of over 300 applicants. And so the fact that it was made, you know, the fact that any movie is made is a miracle. But the fact that this one was yeah. made out of all of those options is even more insane. And I'm glad it was. I'm quite yeah. glad that I watched that, that I watched this movie. Um, but uh, yeah. Yeah, so, um, yeah, I, I don't know. So we meet Florence Pugh's character. Um, oh, God, 
what is her name? Catherine, Catherine Lester. Um, as she's she's trapped in 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 this loveless marriage that was obviously made for some political um purpose. Uh, and she's confined to a life that she doesn't even want. And and this was, you know, this is set in the looks like the twentieth century. Um, no, nineteenth century, eighteen sixty-five, apparently. Um, and and you know, unfortunately, this was probably the life for many a woman in this time period. And so, uh, not that many a woman in this time period would do the things that Catherine does. Um, but I just think it it is in fact very interesting. Um, that this it sort of begins as sort of a a stock representation of what this life could have looked like. Um. Mm-hmm. Uh, she is attended uh, by a uh, by a servant named Anna, played by Naomi Aki, a uh, future co-star of Star Wars: The Rise of Skywalker, uh, who had just made her uh, screen debut a year earlier in uh, Doctor Who in an episode of Doctor Who called "Face the Raven." Uh, it is I am mu- so much of a Doctor Who nerd that I knew exactly who her, who her character was when I saw that she had made her debut in that year. Um, yeah, uh, so she is also I think she rivals Florence Pugh, honestly, in, um, in, in terms of just holding her own and absolutely commanding the screen. Um, and yeah, and, and she is not necessarily, like, like, she is not the title character. She is not the, uh, she is not front and center. I, I don't, I think Florence Pugh is on screen pretty much every minute of this movie. Um, but, uh, but Naomi oh, Aki wow. is still, yeah, is, is still like, she, she holds her own in the scenes with, uh, with, with, with Florence. Well, and she has a specific thing saddled upon her as an actress, of having to sell a lot without saying much. And she does that fantastically. And then you have the two veteran actors, Paul Hilton and Christopher Fairbank, who play the husband and the father of a husband, who are both despicable bastards. And yep. just, ugh, ugh. And Fairbank has just that voice, too, that, like, deep resonant voice that's intimidating and then paul hilton such a scumbag her husband alexander is a scumbag and like before he leaves for a while like for they like force her to stay awake all night for him to come back and not even touch her and decide to do something else to take care of himself and you just like it just feels so dirty and the way that it's shot where it's just focusing on her and she's naked, like turned towards the wall. Just like there's some scenes in this film that are just so dark and poignant in what they're portraying. And you just feel ugh, dirty all over. Right. And, 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 and they're so drawn out too. There are a lot of long shots in this movie. Yes. Um, and, and despite this film being under 90 minutes, uh, it, it, it just feels so, like, you get the sense after you watch so many long shots that it starts to feel longer than it actually is. Honestly, I think this movie could have been a little bit longer, but I'm glad that it is the, uh, I'm glad it's, it's, it's very tight. It's very, um, tight. It's very compact. Exactly. Um, yeah. And, uh, then this movie sort of becomes how far do you go to escape this life? And, uh, how, you, you know, what do you, what would you be willing to do? Um, and I will say, uh, minor spoilers ahead. Uh, this movie has, um, I saw this statistic and I thought it was very funny. Uh, this movie has a higher body count than a lot of James Bond movies, uh, which I think is very, very funny. Um, because, uh, you know, we, we meet we meet Catherine as sort of a uh, quote-unquote helpless female uh, character, uh, and she gets pretty darn murderous later on. Yeah, she is, well, she got that Lady Macbeth energy. Exactly. <laughs> 
Like, she becomes like an angel of death. Like, anybody who crosses her path is in trouble. And there's a lot of people, a couple of them deserved, because they're just horrible human beings. And one of them extremely tragic. Like, extremely tragic. And this is such an interesting commentary on humanity and like you said how far we're willing to go to escape our own confines of like uh a prison of life that we're experiencing and this film challenges you to see how long you can stay connected and sympathize with Catherine. and the whole entire time though florence pugh's killing it and by the end like there's a shot like what the poster is there's just like the way that the way that Florence Pugh can just sit and stare and you just get so much out of it you see it in Midsummer, you see it in this she's just something else yeah there's a scene near the end where she has to stay completely stone-faced as some accusations are thrown at her and she plays that scene absolutely masterfully and I feel like that is when we really see her character Catherine become this or, or or rather fully embrace this ruthless gaslighting absolutely terrible person who is willing to um to go to the worst extreme in order to protect herself um, yeah. and so she's she is sort of a lady macbeth type um and uh you know the uh the, the original novel um is about uh according to the internet the ways in which the female spirit could be stifled in the 19th century, particularly in rural communities like the ones, like the one that this take, takes place in, and um, I feel like it, it 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 takes everything to the extreme uh, in some like semi unrealistic ways, but also I could see this happening theoretically if if someone is is trapped in this life to the extent that um, she would feel. Like she was like she was about to burst, and this is a way that perhaps that could uh, that could emerge, or that that would or that that could come out. Um, and and I think Florence Pugh is she's I I think this is absolutely perfect casting, uh, and and yeah. I feel like we don't run into that uh, as uh, like super often, but here I think she's absolutely spectacularly cast. I feel like I would put this as one of the best debuts mm-hmm. of an actor in like there's very few debut performances that i've seen that are as powerful as what she put forward with this and there's a star in the making i know she didn't really get that big lift off until what 2019 i think it is with midsummer and little women and fighting with my family yeah right right the wwe produced film about Paige, aka soraya um yeah i I love that year. She had so much going on and, you know, good for her because she's still having films like The Wonder where she could really flex her acting like this. And she's one of the most interesting, fun characters in the MCU right now with Yelena and she's going to be leading that new Thunderbolts film. And I can't wait because she's so magnetic on screen and I love that character so much. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so Florence Pugh, she was in um, she was in a movie called The Falling in uh, 2014, and the reason that and, and that was the reason she was cast here uh, is is because um, the casting director for The Falling uh, suggested uh, Pugh instantly to the to William Oldroyd, who directed Lady Macbeth, um, because she just saw her perfectly uh, in 
in the role, and I think that that's uh, yeah. She yeah, was in a movie. movie with Macy Williams. Yep, yep. In uh, w- way back in 2014, when uh, how old was she in 2014? She was, I guess, if they filmed it in 2013, 17. she was about 15, yeah. 16. Yeah, yeah. Look at that. Yeah, absolutely crazy. Um, but this was definitely her mainstream debut. Yeah. Is that I a watch list movie? That's going on the watch list. Oh, yeah. I'm intrigued. That just seems like such a dynamic pairing right there. Maisie Williams and uh, Florence Pugh. Yeah, I wish Maisie Williams had a bigger breakout than um, New Mutants. Yeah. Can we, can we like, sort of not really call that a breakout and, and sort of, like, uh, just... Shove that to the side there. Yeah. I think everybody else forgot about it, except I think people remember Anya Taylor-Joy was in it. Exactly. Because it's yeah. Anya Taylor-Joy. Because it's Anya Taylor-Joy, yeah. Um, so there you go. Now, Shane, I will say, uh, we did, um, we made a little mistake last week uh, when we were talking yes, about the assistants. we did not rank. Exactly, we did not rank. So let us time travel back a week. And uh, yep. Shane, where does the assistants rank for you in the, uh, the now 27 movies that we've watched uh, with uh, on, on Rowan and the Wasteland. I feel bad saying this, but it's like 26. <laughs> hey, it is exactly the same point for me. Right right behind the one, right, thank goodness. Right above the one. <laughs> above, up, above the one, rather. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, um, yeah. That movie. <laughs> yeah. Um, but now, where does Lady Macbeth rank uh, in, your, in your overall? I'm interested to hear if this is as high for you as it is for me, but I think this is number seven right now for me. I really dig this movie a lot. Mm-hmm. What is it? Uh, what is it? supersede and what is it still under it's right below it's such a beautiful day and it's right above in the name of the father that was tough very interesting i was very close to putting it below in the name of the father and i might still do so because i literally was putting this on my list as we were talking so (laughs) Um, so it's a beautiful day is number six for me in the name of the father's number seven and then Lady Macbeth is number eight for me. So there we go. It, it ranks just around the same area. It's still above uh, Faust and Shadow of a Doubt. Um, but uh, yeah, yeah, I don't know. I mean, these these rankings are so arbitrary and who knows if they're going to change eventually. Um, but uh, yeah. It'll be interesting to see how this be. keeps shaping as we get to 40, 50, 100 episodes. Exactly, exactly. Who knows? Um, now, uh, let, us, let us start uh, counting down our... Um, our uh, categories here. So uh, our first category is Shakespearean adaptations-ish. Um, Shane, why don't you start us off? I love the ish part. Um, my number five is Forbidden Planets, mm. which I believe is an adaptation of The Tempest, um, if I'm not mistaken, which is a 50s science fiction film starring Leslie Nielsen before he was a funny guy um, and Walter Pigeon. And it's dealing with creatures from the id because, you know, people still loved Sigmund Freud in the 50s. Uh, and it is a marvel of early science fiction filmmaking. So pretty cool. My number four is West Side Story. Which one? You could pick. Honestly, it's a toss up for me at this point because I love both adaptations so much. But obviously, it's definitely Romeo and Juliet, like without a doubt. Um, and both versions, like the music is just amazing. 
I I can't help but love the direct like Spielberg directed the hell out of that remake, um, and you know the casts are great in both of them. Uh, my number three, which this is the most very specific and traditional adaptation that I have on here, which is Hamlet, the Kenneth Branagh version, all four hours of it, and it is gorgeous and capital. A acting going on here. Like, Brian Blessed as the ghost of Hamlet's father is next-level stuff. Charlton Heston is the father of the acting troupe. Him standing there, pointing his finger down like, oh my god, he's piercing my soul. Um, number two, The Tragedy of Macbeth. And this is extremely biased for me, because I do love the Coens, even if it's just one of them. And... Denzel Washington and Francis McDormand, man. What a what a incredible cast. And number one is Ron from Akira Kurosawa, which is a remake, uh, which is an adaptation of King Lear. And this is one of the most visually striking and impressive samurai films I've ever seen. John, oh, well, honestly, I could probably t- t- uh, step that back and just be like, films, period. Uh, it is epic and impressive and definitely worth a watch. Ron was one of the ones that I hoped to get to this week, um, but I got to another Kurosawa instead, which will absolutely show up on this list. Um, my number five is Shakespeare in Love, which is uh, not a straight adaptation, but it, uh, it posits that certain events in Shakespeare's life directly led to some of his most famous plays. It's an Which adaptation of literally Shakespeare. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> uh, number four is West Side Story. Uh, again, which one? You choose. Uh, I, I, I will say I do prefer the remake. If, if I'm going to rewatch one of them, it is the remake. I just think that Spielberg has such a visual eye that was not necessarily lacking in the original um, West Side Story, but definitely is more dynamic now with the uh, film technology that we have. Um. Number three is 10 Things I Hate About You, uh, another one that I'm slightly biased on because I go to Sarah Lawrence, and that is a quintessential Sarah Lawrence movie. There is a screening every single year on the campus. Um, there you go. Yeah, and uh, I watched this for the first time this summer, watched it again in the fall at school, and still love it. And I found out the other day there is a, there was a network television adaptation that ran for one season uh, that is bad, that is quite bad, uh, that I have started watching and do not intend to stop anytime soon. Uh, number two is Throne of Blood, the uh, the Kurosawa adaptation of Macbeth that I yep. really, really love. Um, it is very well shot, um, absolutely stunning uh, in terms of performances, um, and uh, just <laughs> absolute commitment to every single thing. Like, uh, at the end, with the arrows, is so hilarious and so shocking and so out of Dang nowhere. This. Exactly. Mafune could have easily died. Oh, yes. <laughs> but he, knew, he, knew, he knew that this was going to be great. Um, <laughs> and number one is uh, probably the, the most famous adaptation of Hamlet, and that is The Lion King. Uh, Disney's The Lion King, not the 2019 <laughs> one. The, uh, the 1994 film. Uh, could not leave it off this list. It, it is one of my favorites. So I had to pick Cohen's for Macbeth, but like. Akira Kurosawa makes the best Shakespeare adaptations, just like period. And I was so close to putting The Lion King instead of Hamlet. 
I kind of wanted to only include one at each film, like adaptation, but like, right. There, there's nothing there's that's not a wrong answer that's 100 percent a correct answer exactly <laughs> thank you for validating it um, there you go you didn't need it no but i, but I, but I, anyway. I do appreciate it exactly uh next up is uh marriage stories um lady Macbeth is quite a marriage story and uh quite a marriage ender story um but uh, uh i wonder uh, I wonder if if the if the film actually called Marriage Story will end up on either of our lists. But uh, here we go. Uh, number five is American Beauty. Um, I feel like a lot of these movies that that we have on our lists are going to be about messed up marriages because that's what film and that's what Hollywood loves to portray. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, and number four is uh, is is Gone Girl, one of the most dysfunctional marriages to ever be put to screen. Oh my. Uh, number three is. Marriage Story. It made it onto my list. Um, probably what like one of the more like one of the tamer uh, married like marital strife stories, but definitely um, one of the best acted and best written. Um, I, I don't know what it. you're talking about, Rowan. That wall didn't appreciate it. <laughs> the wall, <laughs> the wall sacrificed itself for the greater good. <laughs> what did that wall do to Adam Driver? <laughs> Number two is uh, The Shining, definitely one of the more unconventional marriage stories. I was so tempted to put that on here, and I'm like, but is it? No, it it totally is. It totally totally is. is. I should have. I should have put it on here. You will not be able to convince me otherwise. Uh, Number one is uh, Before Midnight. Uh, I love the Before trilogy. Love it so much. Got the Criterion Edition pretty recently. Um, That's a nice uh, box yeah, and Before Midnight is uh, is the marriage story of the three, yeah. uh, and and it is probably has some of the best things to say about marriage that I've seen in a movie. Honestly, all five of these movies do, but um, but Before Midnight especially is just so poignant because of the subject matter and because of the presentation, um, and I think it just works so well with Ethan Hawke and Julie Delpy. So I just want to say, spiritually, The Shining is on my list now. There we go. There we go. I'm not going to actually change my list. My number five is True Lies, Mm. which, like, you strip away all the big, the terrorists, the action, the Arnold, and it really is just a marriage story between, like, a spy and his wife, Jamie Lee Curtis, wanting to, trying to re-spark their marriage, and you have a used car salesman getting in the way, that Bill Paxton, and, and... you go, Jamie Lee Curtis, with that dance that she does in that movie. Um, number four, Crazy Stupid Love. They need to leave Cal alone. It wasn't Cal's fault. <laughs> um, but this is my favorite rom-com, period. I just love Crazy Stupid Love. Um, Marriage Story is my number three, and I had to call my now wife when I walked out of the theater after watching this because as a child of divorce, this broke me. So there you go. <laughs> Um, number two is Before Midnight, which, yes, um, just this, it is literally the marriage story. They finally made it, got married, and now they have problems. Well, Um, they didn't technically get married, but their children believe they did. In the, in the, (laughs) like, civil union sense, they're basically married. Basically, basically. Basically married. They might as well be. Um, no government can tell them they, they can't. Um, it's Ethan Hawkey for Christ's sakes. Exactly. Um, that, that fight in the hotel room though. 
Um, and I like how I didn't pull the trigger on The Shining, but I did put Shrek 2 on here for number one. Because when it really comes down to it, it's about Shrek and Fiona and their marital yep. problems. Throwing yep. Puss in Boots and Prince Charming and still and Fairy Godmother and Jennifer Saunders' electric and show-stopping performance of Hold On for a Hero by Bonnie Turner. Um, I just love Shrek and Shrek 2 so much. And honestly, it's a really sweet story about marriage and when it really comes down to it, just loving your spouse and loving them for who they are so good messages see shrek 2 had a good message about marriage (laughs) yeah um yeah next up is our 2016 watch list the movies that we do want to get to in 2016 shane this was this was the year that you started your 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 review channel right Yes, so this was really hard for me actually starting to make this because this was this was the first year where I really started keeping track of movies and really diving in and seeing hundreds of movies. So I'm like, what the hell didn't I see? Right. Um so this is I want to I have to pull up IMDb on some of these because I'm like, what the hell was this? Why did I put this on here? <laughs> um because some of these are pretty obscure movies. Mm-hmm. Um, I got to get back around to that one because for some reason my phone won't load. But in no particular order. Yeah. Um, oh, there we go. In a Valley of Violence, which is a Western from Ty West. I'm like, kept seeing Ty West. And I'm like, oh, I should probably check out his other movies. Um, this is a Western starring Ethan Hawke and John Travolta. So I put that on there. I put the Purge election year. Mm. So like, I think the Purge is such an amazing idea, mm-hmm. but I hadn't seen the first Purge. So I'm like, I'm not going to see these sequels, even though I've heard a lot better things about the sequels mm-hmm. um, than the first one. Um, I have On the Milky Road from director Amir Kustarika. And this seemed like a really interesting poster. It had monica bellucci in it and it's some kind of fantasy movie so i'm like okay got my attention uh we have spectral and this is a sci-fi action film from netflix actually starring james badge dale who i feel like is probably one of the most underappreciated character actors in action movies mm-hmm. um and then my number one is the boy because I know it's a horror movie, and I heard people like it, so I as well check it out. Why not? Yeah, um, James Badge Dale did uh, did great in uh, The Empty Man, which not enough people have seen. Um, so if, if you like James Badge Dale, check out The Empty yeah. Man. Yes, both of us can recommend that because wow, that did not that came by surprise. I did not expect that movie. Yep, absolutely. Uh, still available if you live in, uh, it, it's taken off HBO Max in the U.S., but if you live in England, it's on Disney Plus over there. So, Or, or if you have a VPN, check that out if you can. Um, Weird. Yeah, I know. Um, mine, uh, yeah, so mine are, as usual, pretty mu- pretty more mainstream than uh, than Shane's. Uh, in, in, in no particular order, uh, The Handmaiden, uh, Park Chan-wook's uh, film that is on the Letterboxd Top 250 that I've heard a lot, a lot of really, really good things about. <laughs> Set in uh, 1930s uh, Korea. Um, next up is Swiss Army Man, the uh, the the Daniels, who you know 
everyone knows who the Daniels are now because of everything everywhere, but they started off doing movies, uh, m- musicals with Daniel Radcliffe as a farting corpse on an island with Paul Dano. And that just sounds like the yep. best thing in the world to me. Um, so I can't wait to check that one out. Um, then there's Silence, Martin Scorsese's religious ethic uh, that I've heard a lot of fantastic things about. I know Shane's clutching his chest. Uh, My I know number one, one of 2016, yeah. and it would be on more people's number ones if they saw it. Mm, exactly. Because yeah. <laughs> nobody did. I was by myself in that AMC. Were you, were you really? I was. Nobody saw that. Because horrible marketing. The trailer released a month and a half before it came out. Jeez. Yeah. It's what you get for rushing, trying to get into award season. Especially because go. it's Scorsese. I would have thought that they would have done a better job with that. But who knows? They should have. Yeah. Woulda, coulda, shoulda. Um, next up is uh, Shin Godzilla, the, the Japanese uh, Godzilla movie from, from 2016 that I've also heard a lot of really good things about. All, all, all of these movies I, I, I've heard very good things about. I don't know why I keep saying that. There's a reason that they're on my watch list. There you but, go. Um, yeah. Uh, and then finally is uh, a silly pick is the Anne Hathaway movie Colossal in which she finds out that she is sort of in control of a uh, of a giant Whoa, monster. whoa, 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 whoa. Do not say this is a silly pick. Colossal <laughs> is one of the best films of 2016. That is it it will it's going to take you for take you on a ride, Rowan, and I want to yeah. hear all about it. <laughs> I definitely will. I I will let you know after after, after I've seen it. Um but uh, yeah, yeah, those are the movies that I want to get to in uh, 2016 at some point. I don't know. You know, no rush, but you know, I'll get there. Uh, so, um, Shane, would you like to tell the, the, the viewers and listeners what we will be watching for next week's episode? I'm going to try to do this with a straight face. So, <laughs> Rowan and I decided that our next episode, which is going to be our New Year episode, our first of the new year, we're going to be doing a 2022 film that neither of us have seen, and we decide to have some fun with this one and talk about Bullet Train Down. (laughs) So, yes, you might have seen Bullet Train starring Brad Pitt, but have you seen the straight-to-VOD Bullet Train Down? If not, you should watch it before we talk about it so you can join in all the fun as we talk about Bullet Train Down. Mm -hmm. Yes, this will be fun, I think. Um, and uh yeah yeah we will be basically doing an overview of our of our thoughts on the year of 2022 in film um we will not be recording that at the end of the year so it it might be a little like it'll be semi-incomplete um you know we uh we won't be able to talk about some of the big um award season movies from the end of december yet but um because i know avatar is definitely going to wind up at the top of my list as i roll my eyes aggressively (laughs) Uh, but we will we, we will see how this how this shakes out. But uh, Shane, where can the people find you if they want to hear more uh, from you? Come to the Wasteland Reviewer YouTube channel, and hopefully by this point, I'll have 1,000 subscribers and thank all the wonderful people supporting me. Um, you can also check out the Wasteland Reviewer Instagram page where I post everything that I do from Scribe Magazine, from SifPop.com. I have my TikTok And I have all my crazy fun shows. And by the time this comes out, so will my episode of The Fablemans wrapping up my journey of Spielberg. And Rowan will be there. Foster will be there. And it'll be a lot of fun. 
yeah, it's it's going to be great. Definitely check that out. Uh, you can find me at thelenientcritic.com. That's L-E-N-I-E-N-T critic.com. I write about movies there, and it's very, very wonderful. Um, and uh, also on Twitter, at Bits of Joel, if Twitter is still around. Yes, I made that joke last week. But who knows? Twitter, something might have happened in the last week that we are not aware of. Um, so uh, once again, thank you all very much out there for listening. We really, really appreciate it. And um, this is our last episode of 2022. So we will be back uh, next year with another brand new episode. So thank you guys very much. And we will see you very soon.